Hello everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Prospect Macarena, our prospect Q&A at Birds on the Black. My name is Kyle Reese, I am your host. How this works is every weekend, hopefully from here on out, I will take to Twitter, I will ask for questions about prospects, prospects you're curious about, prospects you've heard about, and uh, hopefully we get a good turnout. Normally when we've done these in the past, we've had five to 10 questions. I think at one point we had 12. This time around, we had 20 different people ask us questions uh, totaling 25 questions. So what we're going to do is I'm going to go over this. Uh, we're going to break about midway through the questions and we're going to turn this into two separate podcasts. The turnout is incredible. Uh, I'm fortunate enough to have followers who really, really like to participate and like to have civil discussions. And uh, I feel hashtag blessed for that. Um, that's really it. That's the preface to all this. I'm all about trying to get right into business. So, uh, Without further ado, let's just jump right into it. Uh, the first question I had was from a young Redbird fan. And the question was, talk to me about Delvin. And he's talking about Delvin Perez. Uh, how is his season going? Well, Delvin Perez has spent all of the season at the short season extended spring training affiliate for the Cardinals. Now, that's a fancy way and also an incorrect way of saying that uh, Delvin has been hanging out at Palm Beach preparing for the short season clubs to start. Uh, that happens a lot with the, the Dominican-born players, the players who spent a couple years in the Dominican Summer League, uh, and mostly teenagers and recent draft picks. There's some exceptions to that rule, but that's basically what it is. Now, about two weeks ago, Delvin was sent home, and I haven't been able to get a clarification on that. I've heard he broke a bone in his hand, uh, I heard it was just to decompress before the short season clubs kick in in mid-June. Uh, mid uh, but Delvin was kicking it and doing well, from what I understood, at, at the short season club. And then he was sent home and he will be back when the short season clubs kick in. Now, that is also to say that there isn't like a stat line for how Delvin has done this year. That's not to say, or rather that's to say that there's not really a, a definitive report out on how Delvin's been this year. I guess the baseline for Delvin Perez is that he hasn't started at a full season club. He hasn't had one official registered at bat uh, for stat tracking purposes. And up until the beginning of May, there weren't any negative reports on how he was performing or acting at spring at extended spring training. And uh, now he's not there. And the reasons are kind of uh, ambiguous, if you will. And, you know, I guess, I guess the bottom line with Delvin is don't forget that we need to always regroup with Delvin. Uh, Mr. Perez is an exciting prospect. He's 19 years old. He was a first-round draft pick who got off to a hot start. As I wrote about at the Birds on the Black uh, when I did my prospect write-up in the Dirty 30, it would do us all well to ignore his 2016 after he was drafted as well as his, uh, his piss-poor 2017. And I think... I think we just need to regroup a little bit and look at 2018 as a, as a new starting block. View him as a 19-year-old who hopefully will start the season in June. And hopefully we can get excited about him then. Uh, yeah, that, that's what's going on with, with Mr. Delvin Perez. And again, thank you to everyone for the questions. The questions are fantastic from everyone. And, uh, I mean, you'll see they just get better one after another after another. Adam Butler, over at the Redbird Daily. Uh, I'm a big fan of that, Adam Butler. Adam asks... The biggest riser and fa faller so far in 2015, easily, hands down, the biggest riser in 
the Cardinals organization in 2018 so far, uh, it's either Elwery's Montero or Evan Mendoza. They're both third basemen. Uh, they're both a little different. El, El, it's Elwery's Montero. Uh, it's a third baseman who's 19 who is anchoring the Peoria lineup. Pretty damn impressive what he can do. And Evan Mendoza was at Palm Beach holding his own in a pitcher's league and has recently been promoted to Springfield. A high-contact guy who doesn't necessarily strike out a lot, who doesn't walk and hits for a lot of singles. If I had to pick between one of the two, it's uh, Elary's Montero because he seems like the total package, and he's young, and he's handling a league at a young age that other Cardinals prospects haven't and other prospects throughout baseball haven't. He anchors that lineup. Peoria kind of works around him. Uh, he's an intimidating force that I've seen a lot of opposing pitchers try to pitch against. So, uh, it's Elaris Montero, who went from being outside of the top 30 to easily being in the top 20 when I re-rank uh, the next time I re-rank. Uh, but honorable mention to Evan Mendoza. Now, who is the big faller? Well, uh, the first thing that comes to my mind, uh, and again, kind of a preface, I ask for these questions and I look at them, but I don't research them. Uh, I know that that's poor, but I want you to feel like, I want you to kind of be inside of my head. I want you to understand like the rawness that is the knowledge I have. I, I don't want to feel like, I don't want you to feel like I'm just giving you stat line verbatim uh, or that I did some kind of crazy research. I want you to know that I'm when I'm right, I'm right. And when I'm wrong, I'm wrong. And hopefully we can revisit those wrongs and we can grow from them uh, as my computer starts making noise. Um, Anyways, all of that is to say, the biggest faller to me is Jose Adoliz Garcia. Uh, uh, Jag, as it were, has been terrible. He swings at everything out of the zone. He, he looks like how I imagined he would look at the beginning of last season uh, after struggling in the Japanese minor leagues. For me, I had him as my number 12 prospect in the Dirty 30, and I'll be honest, right now, watching him swing the bat, watching him field his position... I'd probably put him outside of the 20. Now, that's not to say it couldn't change, but to fall like that, that's pretty hard. You know, that's pretty hard. Uh, Delvin's fallen, but again, we're going to start with that fresh, clean slate for Delvin, and we're not going to get too pardon me, we're not going to get too worked up about it. Uh, we're just going to take that for what it is. Uh, but right off the top of my head, he's the one that comes to mind, you know. Uh, people are disappointed in Carson Kelly. I don't share that same disappointment. I think he's I think it's safe to say that there was a little bit of overhype with Carson, but not as much as maybe it feels like. Um, Tyler O'Neill's been as advertised. Alex Reyes, Jack Flaherty, Austin Gomber, Dakota Hudson. Uh, all of those guys have been as advertised. But Jose Adoliz Garcia, Jag, is the one player who, in my book, has fallen because I don't see a relief for him. I don't see like how he gets better other than just starts laying off these pitches. He has that Aledmi's Diaz approach right now where you knew if he threw him anything out and away, he wasn't going to get to it. And you knew he was going to swing at it too. And if he was going to make contact, it was going to be weak. And that's what's going on with Jose Dolis Garcia. Uh, honorable mention to Johan Oviedo for Peoria. Now we'll see how that gets when it gets a little warmer for Peoria. Uh, but, man, I love that Oviedo. I think I had him as my number two, or 22 on my personal Dirty 30 list. It just doesn't seem there for him. I, you know, I haven't been able to get a solid or reliable velocity reading on Johan Oviedo from the six foot six Cuban who's 20 years old. Uh, but the stats aren't there for sure. 
and he got off to a bad start walking five and only recording one run in his first start while it was snowing in Peoria. You let the start pass a little bit because of the weather and he has shown signs of coming out of it but it just doesn't seem set yet. It doesn't seem solid. So uh, th that would be my, my two risers. The, the winner of the competition, Larry's Montero and the runner-up, uh, Evan Mendoza. And then the faller would be Jag, uh, with the runner-up being Johan Oviedo. Uh, great question, Adam. Mr. Lance Dance uh, won on Twitter. Matt Moore, who I enjoy speaking with on Twitter as well, asks me the top three arms between Palm Beach and Peoria. Now, Mr. Moore is a smart man. He intentionally said arms. He didn't say starting pitchers. Uh, and also arms. I, I would like to get into the outfield there because Dylan Carlson has an amazing arm and he's in Peoria right now. Or uh, Palm Beach and was in Peoria. Um, but we're just going to talk about pitchers here. And, you know, the, the obvious names are uh, Johan Oviedo, Alvaro Cejas. But to me, number one on that list undoubtedly is Evan Kruczynski. Evan is an Eastern Carolina graduate who the Cardinals drafted last year, who has smooth mechanics uh, and an approach on the mound similar to, like, I can't help but say he's Mark Mulder light. Now, Mr. Moore disagrees with me on this. Uh, the manager of Palm Beach was asked about it, and he disagreed with me on it. But when you watch him throw, other than a little bit more violent of a finish, he has it all. He has a fastball, a changeup, and a curveball that will all play as they progress throughout the system. Uh, he's number one on the list, hands down. He's advanced for Palm Beach, and I can't wait to see what it looks like when he eventually gets a chance to pitch at Springfield, which could very well happen in the near future, maybe even by the time you are listening to this. Uh, next on my list, uh, I, I mentioned those names that you, would, might, you might think about right away. Alvaro Cejas, who's had an up-and-down season. He hasn't necessarily been dominant. He hasn't necessarily been bad. He's just kind of been around... But you see those flashes, you see him show signs of being really good because of how good he is, because of how advanced he is for being such a young man. He goes on the list. He would be number three of my one through three. Uh, but when you watch Alvaro Cejas, you really feel like in some capacity, he's going to make a major league impact. I feel that way with Evan Kurchinsky too. You know, unless their careers get derailed, they have the stuff to make a major league debut. And not everyone in the minor league has that. Uh, you know, from there it gets really interesting. Uh, Evan Galori is a really interesting player drafted in 2017. Ian Oxnavad, uh, a lefty with a wicked pickoff move who's starting to put it all together a little bit but has had a few rough spots here late. Uh, Junior Fernandez, who we'll get into here in a little bit, who hasn't made a start yet. Uh, the other name is uh, Mr. Shu, S-H-E-W, who has been lights out this season for for Palm Beach. Uh, but I just, I don't believe in his stuff. He has a very deceptive motion. And he masks his changeup and his fastball extremely well. And if I'm looking at this rationally, I would put him as my number two on the list because of how good he's been. Uh, but who I'm going to put number two on my list is Colin Walsh. So my three are Evan Kurchinsky, uh, Colin Walsh and Alvaro Cejas. Walsh is in Peoria, and he's about a strikeout and inning pitcher who was dominant last year pitching out of the pen after being drafted. He comes from a major university. Uh, he's pedigreed. He has a smooth motion. 
I just really like Kellen Walsh. So if I'm picking the three arms between Palm Beach and Peoria, uh, I'm going Evan Kuczynski, who is number one with number two and three, a distance behind, followed by a tight two of Colin Walsh and uh, 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 number three of Alvaro Cejas. So Alvaro Cejas has the highest ceiling of all three. Uh, he can be filthy. He can be nasty. He can be dirty. He can be dominant. And I wouldn't be surprised if by the time we get to August, we're talking about him being that way. He just hasn't shown it yet. Uh, Kuczynski had one of the quietest, best starts in the season against Bradenton early in the year, and he was so impressive. It just it looks right when Kuczynski pitches, and uh, I'm such a big fan of him. And again, Matt, thank you for the question. I'm, I'm actually anxious to hear the eventual debate we have over my top three, and I can't wait to hear yours as well. Also, one last shout-out I mentioned him is to Ian Oxnavad. Um, the final part of his season is going to be really interesting because he has a lot of talent and it really seems like he's starting to nibble at that talent. Uh, maybe not nibble. Maybe he's nibbled on that talent up until now and now he's starting to chew on it a little bit, which is really, uh, really, really interesting. Our boy Tom McCoy, who asks uh, a question that also... Uh, uh, I believe his name's Carl Hunnell asks, everybody wants to know about the phenom drafted in the 15th round of last year's draft, Terry Fuller. Tom's question in particular was, uh, what are my expectations of Terry Fuller and what does a successful 2018 look like for Terry? Uh, let's preface this really quick by saying that This is the first offseason that Terry Fuller has spent exclusively on baseball. Uh, he was always a football player playing baseball. He was a football recruit playing baseball. He was a guy who could hit a ball out of Marlins Stadium and make YouTube, make himself a YouTube sensation, but he was a football player first. This is his first offseason with baseball exclusively. That makes me also, it makes me excited, but it also makes me temper my expectations, right? Uh, because you don't know what the overexertion looks like, uh, the overexposure looks like. Uh, for me, what's a successful season? You know me, I'm not going to give you a stat line. I want to see less than a 24% strikeout rate. Um, I'd like to see seven or somewhere between five and seven home runs. I would like for him to spend all year at Johnson City. Uh, I'd like for him to be. I'd like to hear good returns about his ability out in the outfield. Um, you know, we'll talk about him here in a little bit, but Brady Whalen, I would like for him to have a season similar to what Brady Whalen had at, uh, at Johnson City, or at, uh, at State College, right? Because Brady Whalen was at, oh no, Brady, Brady Whalen was at Johnson City, I'm sorry. Uh, Brady Whalen at Johnson City, Larry's Montero at, G at GCL. Uh, but anyways, I would like for, for Mr. Fuller to have a similar year to what uh, uh, Brady Whalen had last year, and that's 240, 250 batting average, 340 to 350 on base percentage, and somewhere between five and seven home runs. We don't need to see a lot of home runs, but we need to see a home run total for Terry Fuller. Uh, and again, for those of you who wanna know, the state college season, which he'll be a level below that at Johnson City, but I believe the state college season starts on June 15th. Uh, short season squads start after the draft. Uh, Terry Fuller's exciting. 
we're gonna answer the answer to a question here in a little bit is gonna be Terry Fuller uh, he's a monster and he's gotten into better shape and all reports from extended spring training where he's at right now is that he might be ready to bust out uh, gotta love that Terry Fuller make some marks here I gotta X this out or else I lose track of what I'm doing uh, Daniel Shoptaw of Cardinals Conclave uh, and the, our overlord over at the uh, United Cardinals blogger, UCB, asks, first off, for a Dylan Carlson update, who is a prospect that we assigned to him because Dylan Carl Carlson is an advanced 19-year-old. Uh, but I say, when I say advanced, I mean he's a man, uh, just like Mr. Daniel Shoptaw is. And uh, the biggest low-level surprise... So we'll start with Carlson. Uh, for those of you who don't know Dylan Carlson, Dylan Carlson started out in Peoria this year. That's where he spent all of last year after being drafted the prior year. Uh, since being promoted, it hasn't necessarily been great. But he's hitting 200 with a 333 on base percentage. He's striking out a little bit more than he normally would. He is still impressive. He's playing a great outfield, a great corner outfield from what I, what I understand. There's no reason to think that his stock has fallen at all. As a matter of fact, most people believe that his stock has stayed steady, if not increased, even with the struggle at the next level. Uh, the on-base percentage that is 133 points above the batting average goes to show you that his philosophy isn't changing. He's just holding his own. He's learning from the league and trying to get better at the league uh, while learning and that's not an easy thing to do especially for a 19 year old at a full season club so that's your dylan carlson update the second part of daniel's question c70 uh, is the biggest surprise at the lower level now that's a tough one uh you know getting back to the beginning of the season the assignment of jonathan machado to a full season club before Wadier Infante or Scott Hurst was a surprise. Uh, Chase Pinder being assigned to Palm Beach was a surprise. I thought for sure Pinder and Wadier Infante would start at Peoria. Uh, it's no surprise that, Inf or that uh, Jonathan Machado really struggled at Peoria and was sent to back down to extended spring training. Uh, from a production standpoint, the biggest surprise is Alaris Montero. He is better than good at a level he should only be average at. He is a monster. You know, the biggest surprise in a positive way is that to me. The, the biggest surprise is that, and maybe this is, falls on me for being naive enough to think he'd be healthy, but especially after his season was cut short last year, but the fact that we haven't seen Junior Fernandez pitch yet for Palm Beach is pretty interesting to me. I haven't heard one way or the other what's kept him out for the first, what will be two months of the season. He was shut down last year because of shoulder fatigue that they blew off as nothing more than a precautionary. Uh, that's a big surprise to me. It's a caution, uh, a, a worry flag gets raised, but it's a big, a, a big concern to me, a big surprise to me. Uh, the way that a lot of late round draft picks have played, pitching, Pitching wise, you know, Evan Galori, Colin Walsh. Uh, so with Mr. with Andrew Shue, I always want to call him Anthony. And if his name's Anthony, I always want to call him Andrew. I always get it screwed up. Uh, but with him, how great he's been because he's been dominant at Palm Beach. I've been surprised that Ryan Helsley has 
now he's back at Memphis now, but I've been surprised that he toiled away in Springfield as long as he did. Uh, Mike O'Reilly's quick ascent through the organization. I've been, again, now that's all getting to the higher levels, but uh, at the lower levels, what surprised me more than anything, uh, there's been a lot of power from places that I didn't necessarily expect power. And it's been awesome to watch Evan Mendoza kind of start to claim his own little star in the organization. So, uh, Daniel, that's the really, really long, that is a very, very, really, really long-winded way of me trying to answer that question. It's to say there's a lot to be surprised about uh, and a lot to be worried about and a lot to be excited about and encouraged about, uh, but that's, that's really where we're at. Uh, Biggest surprise, I feel like I'm giving a, a poor answer here, uh, but I'll stick with whatever nonsense I just said while I blacked out and gave a terrible answer. Uh, Cards Nation 24-7 asks, Max Schrock and Wilfredo Tovar have hit well in AAA. Will it translate? Two completely different prospects. We're going to start with Wilfredo Tovar. Wilfredo to Tovar is a defense-first uh, prospect, as I use air quotes, because he's not necessarily a prospect. When he was 21, 22 and playing in the Mets organization, he was a prospect. He's not that anymore. This is like his 100th year in AAA at this point. And he should be hitting well. He should be fielding well. He should be that 4A player at AAA. Because that's basically what he is. It, it, Wilfredo Tovar would never be anything more... Uh, than like 5% better than what we saw out of Alex Mejia last year after being called up to the majors. That's the kind of player Wilfredo Tovar is. So to answer your question, would his hitting tool right now, where he's hitting 300 with a 800-plus on-base percentage, uh, OPS rather, on-base plus slugging, would that translate to the major leagues? I don't believe so. Max Schrock is different. Now, Max Schrock doesn't strike out a lot. He turns on pitches inside. He has good plate coverage on pitches on the outside. He's young. He's handling his first taste of AAA. Will his hitting translate? I feel like with Max Schrock, he'll never drown himself. You know, I feel like with Greg Garcia, Greg Garcia never drowns himself. You don't ever feel like he's swimming in waters that are too deep for him. That's the awesome thing about Max, Max Schrock's hit tool. is I don't feel like we'll ever see him take on too much water he'll tread water uh, it might not necessarily be Olympic swimming but he'll tread water the thing with Max Schrock is I would imagine that after maybe two or three years of exposure he would do the opposite of Colton Wong where Colton Wong was pretty flashy and pretty good at first and then kind of tapered off I don't expect that with Max Schrock with Max Schrock I would expect him to maybe be okay at first again hold his own and then as he adjusts to Major League Pitching, I would expect him to be a solid, average, everyday Major Leaguer uh, because of his hit tool, his contact tool. Great plate discipline, uh, maybe great plate coverage. Plate discipline is still kind of weird because he's so good at hitting, he swings it more than he should. Uh, and he's still doing that down at Memphis. I would also like to see him increase that power a little bit. The power would be really nice if he could increase it a little bit. But I do think that with time, you're talking about a guy who can hit 5 to 10 home runs and 500-plus at-bats and play an average second base. He's better at second base than I gave him credit for entering this season. Uh, he's, he's a pretty solid defensive second baseman. I, he'll handle the position at the major leagues. But as far as how the bats will, will translate, 
Uh, I don't have much faith in Tovar. I don't think we'll see Tovar unless things get exceptionally weird. And uh, Max Schrock, when called upon, which could very well happen before September, but more than likely in September, and more than likely next year, if not in September, uh, I don't expect him to do anything that resembles embarrassing himself. He's a pretty solid hitter. He's pretty advanced. He's smart. And the fact that he doesn't strike out is a pretty... Uh, pretty exciting thing a good question though austin lamb another one of our friends who writes over at the redbird daily austin asks as my computer over here starts flipping out for whatever reason i'm sorry i got a little distracted i'm back here who are the cards prospects that we might see on the top 100 lists come mid-season so you would have to figure that jack flaherty alex reyes and carson kelly are all out of the mix for that which pretty much eliminates all of their prospects except for Tyler O'Neill from the top 100. Now, the question is, can Tyler O'Neill be, will he be eligible? And just for the sake of this argument, the way he's hitting, he just hit his third home run in three consecutive nights. I'm going to assume that he has already passed uh, the amount of at-bats or games played needed. Ooh. Not games played needed. It would have to be at-bats. He would have to get 100 at-bats in another month and a half. That's not unreasonable. 149 at-bats, I think. Anyways, I'll say we'll just say Tyler O'Neill's on the list if he has not met the requirements to lose his rookie eligibility. That's one. After that, I don't know if they'll have another guy on. You know, I don't think Dakota Hudson goes on. Jordan Hicks isn't eligible. Ryan Helsley won't go on. If he does, it'll be in the back end. Austin Gomber won't go on. Uh, Alaris Montero might get consideration, but I don't think he will. Uh, Andrew Kisner will get consideration, but I don't think he will. He's not really like the prospect guru darling, although he's every bit of solid. Uh, Randy Orozarena won't. Oscar Mercado won't. If the Cardinals draft somebody really interesting at 19th overall, that person could find their way into the top 100. We saw it happen with Delvin a couple years ago when Delvin was drafted 23rd overall. Um, you know, I'll say that if Tyler O'Neill is eligible, he will be the only one. Oh, man, that's a tough realization to come to. Austin bringing the show down. Austin Lamb bringing the show down. Uh I, man, I really can't think. I don't think there's been too many other guys that have like flown onto the scene. You know, Lane Thomas got off to a really great start for Springfield, and then it kind of derailed. Uh, Ramon Urias, who was a Mexican uh, signed out of the Mexican League this offseason, he's been really solid at Springfield, but kind of showed uh, a lack of progression at AAA at, to start the season. Uh yeah, yeah, I'll say Tyler O'Neill and Tyler O'Neill alone. Now, if Alaris Montero can really, really tear this this next month and a half apart, he's going to find himself on that list. And uh, other than that, I, I think that's all we're looking at. I, I don't, I, you know, Dakota Hudson's done a really great job to increase his strikeout rate by repeating that delivery, but he's still terrible against lefties. If he finds his way, it'll be in the back 10, maybe as an honorable mention. Uh... Yeah, that's it. it Tyler O'Neill for sure. Dakota Hudson, maybe. Uh, Andrew Kisner, maybe. Alaris Montero, maybe. With a very, very, very outside chance of like Randy Rosarena. Randy Rosarena.
and, and Ryan Helsley, who I think I would put in my top 100 easy, but uh, I'm also a sycophant, so uh, I'm, no, I'm just a crazy fan of, of the young man. That's a great question. That's a tough one, Austin. I might end up getting back to you later on this week about that because uh, that one stumped me. That's a tough one. God, a really tough question. Stu Styles. Stu Styles, who does our game recaps over at Birds on the Black and does a tremendous job of them with uh, Cardinals gifts, asks, what is Evan Mendoza's ETA? Now, time to do a little backtracking. If you want, you can podcast me interviewing Evan Mendoza for Birds on the Black. It's just a couple episodes back. It's worth giving a listen to. He's a super smart, uh, great kid. Evan Mendoza was drafted in the 11th round of the 2017 draft out of NC State, the same university that produced Andrew Kisner. Uh, point number one. He won a batting, a batting title at State College last year and was promoted to Peoria where he struggled at first, but won two games for them on walk-offs and showed signs of busting out over his last 10 to 12 games at the level. Evan was given an advanced promotion to Palm Beach because of how well he did at Peoria last year and because the Cardinals have an urgent need for an actual true third baseman uh, in their immediate future. Put that in the back of your mind because that's going to come up here very, very soon with the ETA thing. Uh, he handled Palm Beach. He was hitting like 340 plus at the time, not slugging a lot, uh, but he was doing amazing and uh, he was like Five for his last eight before they called him up to Springfield, which is where he was at now. And it seems like in four games with Springfield, he's holding his own. Encouraging. Now, his ETA, let's look at it this way. I want him to spend all this year in the minors. At double A, the rest of the year at double A. Don't push him any further. Uh, next year, I would like for him to spend all of the year at triple A. No need to push him any further. So that eliminates 2018, 2019. At the very earliest... You're talking about a June, May, July ETA for Evan Mendoza if he stays on the track that he's on right now. But if I'm the Cardinals, I love the fact that he's making a lot of contact, but I want to see him introduce a little bit more slug into his game. There hasn't been a lot of home runs. There hasn't been a lot of doubles. He's just making contact because being 21 years old and at these levels is not easy. And he's just kind of going through the paces to acclimate himself with it. I would like for him to see, to see him by the end of the year adding more power, more doubles, maybe striking out a little bit more, maybe walking a little bit more. Uh, at the earliest, the ETA for Evan Mendoza, in my mind, is 2020. With, if all things are going well for the Cardinals, 2021 with a late 2020 debut. Uh, but I'm a big fan of Evan Mendoza, as everyone knows. His defense... He, when we talked, when I got, when I was given the chance to interview him, he was seemed disappointed in his defense. I was not. Uh, he still struggles sometimes, but errors are errors, and usually are up for debate. But uh, he can be flashy over there. He can be good. He can be solid. He's still getting used to the position. He was recruited by NC State to both pitch and play the position. Uh, after his rookie, his freshman year, true freshman year, where he started off as a pitcher. He worked his butt off uh, in the cage and on the field to be a good third baseman and a good hitter. And it dove off a little bit, but it got better as it went on. And by the end of his, his junior year uh, in 2017, before the Cardinals drafted him, there were signs that he was going to do what he's doing right now. 
So yes, 2020 as the earliest ETA with an optimal ETA of 2021 for Evan Mendoza, but the Cardinals, the way that they've been aggressive promoting prospects, I, I would hedge on 2020. Thank you, Stu Styles, for your question and your contribution to Birds on the Black. Now, our last question is from the one and only Holy Schilt on Twitter. Uh, the only other person who shares my affection for Mike Schilt, uh, the level of my affection for Mike Schilt, Holy Schilt himself, he asks, what has the better future? The card system or my reproductive system? Now. For all of those who watch uh, uh, Prospects After Dark on Monday nights, usually some midweeks, uh, but Monday nights usually at 8.30 Central Time uh, via Periscope, you know that my reproductive system doesn't stand much of a chance. The Cardinals are about ready to go into a lull with their farm system. Uh, between being uh, having their first, their first three picks taken away from them last year, one for signing Dexter Fowler and two being awarded to Houston, for Chris Correa hacking their database, uh, between being handcuffed in the international signing period this season and next season, this upcoming rather uh, international signing period, their cupboard's a little bare. So I would say in the immediate, uh, my reproductive system has a better chance because I'm Twitter famous, yo. What the hell does that mean? It's not even a real thing. Uh, no, right now, the Cardinals farm system in the immediate is is on a down uh, and still higher than my ability to reproduce. And in the long term, I believe in what Randy Flores and the boys in the, uh, the player development uh, side of the Cardinals organization have done. I think they did a tremendous job drafting uh, handicapped last year and a tremendous job drafting in 2016. Uh, the future is very bright for the Cardinals farm system. But keep in mind... Uh, as, as I stumbled and bit my words over and over again, we're about ready to hit another lull with all of the players contributing at the major league level from Jack Flaherty to Alex Reyes to Tyler O'Neill to Harrison Bader to Jordan Hicks, Ryan Helsley by the end of the year, Dakota Hudson more than likely by the end of the year, that this is where we're at. And the next year or two, it might seem like a down year. Actually, the next calendar year, it might seem like a down year. From this draft, this, this 2018 draft to the 2019 draft, it's going to seem like a down year. Uh, but the Cardinals will continue to produce people who uh, help the Major League team, even if they're not the flashiest players, because that's just what the Cardinals do. They do a tremendous job of de developing players that way. And uh, we're lucky as fans that the Cardinals have chosen to do this. Uh, I hope that answers your question, Schilt. My reproductive chances and system doesn't stand much of a chance. Uh, that is it for part one of this episode of the Prospect Macarena Prospect Q&A. Uh, stay tuned here in the next day or two. We'll have part two for you. Uh, we've got this many questions and this many questions for that. Uh, so, a big thank you to Cardinals Gifts and... Uh, and chill 17 Nicholas Childress, who's going to put together the video and do the, the cool stuff to this. Uh, a big thank you to uh, Young Redbirds fan, Adam Butler, Matt Moore, Tom McCoy, Holy Schilt, C70, Cards Nation 24-7, Austin Lamb, and Stu Styles for their contributions. Uh, for everybody at Birds on the Black, I am Kyle Reese. If you're watching this, you're a part of the resistance. And as always, happy hunting.